0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could. But how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi.
2: Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Today's show will explore the question how can you attain and sustain job security and career mobility? college and even phd grads struggle to find work that support their growth and fulfill their financial needs as have employees who have been laid off some of whom are not able to regain their former work status and pay scale many of us have to reestablish our career footing numerous times into and even beyond what are considered to be the retirement years aside from meeting our basic needs Vocations offer us a chance to express ourselves in ever-changing ways, to contribute to the evolution of our world. Given the speed at which technology is developing and affecting the landscape of work, our conversation today suggests that your employability and marketability rely on your ability to anticipate and prepare for jobs that don't exist yet. Here to offer us more of a view into the 21st century global borderless workplace is Chris Bishop who writes consults and speaks about improvising careers. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, i
3: delighted to be here. Look forward to our conversation.
2: I do as well. So much interesting information that you're talking about as it relates to innovation. And I know that you talk about a well-known William Gibson quote that you like to use to start conversations. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, so it's uh, William Gibson, obviously the author of Neuromancer and Mona Lisa Overdrive, one of the early uh, users of the phrase uh, cyberspace. But his quote, uh, one of his quotes that I really like is, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. So I love the idea that there's future stuff going on everywhere uh, and it's permeating the globe on a sociocultural and business level sort of more and more. I think the rate and pace at which that is happening uh, is accelerating, which is very exciting.
2: So I guess then the challenge comes with being aware of the changes that are occurring.
3: Yeah, certainly. I mean, the in terms of like a job marketplace model, right, the paradigm has been shifting I often say when I speak to university students, you know, this has been going on for really 350 years at least. There's a great quote from a New York Times op ed uh, by Steve um, Roker. He's talking about Queen Elizabeth I refusing to grant a patent to someone who applied for a mechanized knitting machine in, mm-hmm. guess, guess what year? 1589. Because her fear was that. Her subjects didn't have the skills to be successful using this new technology. I'm paraphrasing, but that
2: was the gist of the message. It makes logical sense. Yeah. You use the term "improvising careers." Tell us about what that means. Well,
3: so I've had seven careers so far in the forty years since I graduated from Bennington College with a bachelor's degree in German literature, uh, and. Uh, I was a touring rock musician right after college, played with a band called McKendree Spring, moved to New York, was a session musician, played with Robert Palmer and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, ended up in the jingle biz, writing music for radio and television, and then taught myself how to be a web producer, and worked at several seminal interactive agencies in New York, and then was hired, much to my surprise, by IBM, where I worked for 15 years. What I've done is codified how I moved through these multiple careers into three what I call secret ingredients, antenna, mesh, and voice. We can talk a little bit more about that if you like.
2: I'd love to talk more about that.
3: So the idea is how did I navigate these disparate careers? And I use the term careers because I still have friends in each of the seven sort of fields or disciplines that I worked in who are still doing it for a living today. People who are musicians, people who are web producers, people who are jingle writers. Um, people who work in technology and business strategy at large companies. But the idea is so antenna is looking at what's going on on the planet from a, a business, political, cultural, social, technological perspective and then doing some the internal pieces looking at your own skills and assets and experience and mapping the two together. The second aspect of uh, secret ingredient is um, voice which is finding what your brand is writ large and then how you express it, through what channels. If you're a videographer, you want to use YouTube or Vimeo. If you're into visual imagery, you might want to use Snapchat or Pinterest or Instagram. If you're a writer, you know, choose Blogger or WordPress. And then the final piece is Mesh. So, which this is a network of networks. So, dissecting and analyzing who you're connected to and how you're connected to them, and then realizing that networking is a lifelong job. You have to do it every day, all day, Uh, the rest of your life
2: Chris I'd love to hear an example of applying these secret ingredients
3: Okay, so uh, for me for example when I moved to New York after touring with this band uh, the band broke up right the typical bell curve you sell a lot of records you you sell no records, you sell a lot of records you sell no records so after the band went out of business I moved to New York and quickly realized that I was missing some skills so the antenna piece of it was like, well, I want to go to the city and see if I can run with the big dogs. Do I have what it takes to play at the level of professionalism required to be successful in New York? Uh, so that was my sort of inner motivation. And New York is where it's happening. So went to New York and then realized that I needed to be able to be a much stronger sight reader. And I needed to know how to play bebop tunes. I was in a couple of embarrassing situations where this lack of skills became readily apparent. So I tracked down people to help me do it. I had a friend from college who lived in New York. He showed me how to play bebop and how to read from a fake book. I took extensive classes at a studio on the Upper West Side learning how to be a good sight reader and uh, and then was able to make a living, a good living in New York as a bass player.
2: Part of that antenna analysis then is taking a look at how things are evolving in the world what that means in terms of the structure of work opportunities, and then bringing that to your own experience and evaluating the areas that you need to enhance in order to be successful in those areas. Yes, for sure. So another transition that, that I love to cite is my move from being a bass
3: player to uh, being a, a writer and producer. So, along about the mid '80s, it became clear that. Being an electric bass player in New York was similar to being a farrier or a blacksmith around the time when Henry Ford introduced a Model T. Meaning, that's a great skill, but we don't need a lot of people who know how to do that. We need people who know how to fix automobile engines and repair tires and uh, understand electrical systems associated with cars, right? So, coming to that realization, uh, I began to look for work first as a an arranger and a composer, and then eventually uh, as a producer working at a jingle house in New York writing music for radio and television, running an instrument called the Synclavier, which was the state-of-the-art digital musical instrument at the time. Uh, and it was real timbres, it was real instruments digitally recorded, so you'd summon the strings of the keyboard and play them, you'd summon the drums and play that part, you'd summon the um, horns. Uh, The bass, I sampled a couple of my own bass sounds so I'd have at least some of my own sort of personal timbre in the machine. And it was all music as data. Front end was a a Macintosh computer and had its own uh, storage, Winchester Drive, a big rack-mounted device that held 512K, sort of microscopic compared to today's devices.
2: Chris, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about how specialized the work was that you were doing? Well, it was pretty
3: specific. I mean, uh, you had to understand music, you had to understand advertising, you had to understand uh, how to connect music and visuals. Um, I transitioned out of the jingle biz into the web biz, and what I say is that uh, in both situations, there were specific resources doing specific tasks and with specific skills, but always a client and a budget deliverable. So being aware of shifting skill sets and how you can fit into them and and adapt is key. So in the jingle biz, writing music for television, you have a singer maybe and a guitar player and a recording engineer and a copyist uh, and a client and a budget deliverable. And in the web biz, you have a coder and a scripter and a graphic designer and maybe a copywriter and a client and a budget deliverable. So. Taking skills at a macro level and shifting to wherever the new discipline is, is key.
2: When we take a look at our skills development, in some cases there are some people who are very successful throughout their careers in extremely niche, specialized areas. And then there's the question of having a broader applicability to your skill set such that if you needed to move from Florida to Alaska that there would be some versatility that you could engage to ensure that you're working wherever you are. I think the, so a couple of things, for one thing I
3: just read about a couple uh, who were living working in Silicon Valley and because the real estate is so uh, exorbitant, they moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan where they bought like a big house and a, with a big yard to raise a family and they're still working in Silicon Valley. They're just doing it all remotely because it's you know, as long as you can get on the network, you're at work. The other thing I would say is uh, to be aware of how disciplines are intersecting in historically unlikely ways uh, as a way to, to stay ahead of what the job market will be. So an example I love to cite is nanopharmacy. That's going on to some degree today, but that's going to be more and more of a niche, uh, an in-demand skill. So the two skill sets that, haven't historically collided are around mechanical engineering, but now at the molecular level at the nanoscale, and then pharmacology, knowing what kind of you know, medicines and what kind of dosages need to be delivered, but again, at a cellular level. So those kinds of unlikely intersections are, are where their opportunities
2: are going to be. How do you suggest that folks really stay tuned to some of the changes that are happening that might be most relevant to their career path?
3: So I think there are, uh, there are various ways to do it. Uh, I would, By the way, I was just at the World Future Society in Washington, D.C. last week talking about the topic of how to be successful at jobs that don't exist yet. And one of the things that I uh, love to cite is the idea that there are actually tactical ways to stay ahead of this, Right? it's not magic. So I always begin with recommending that people look at the elite newspapers, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post as a starting point. Certainly the Wall Street Journal because they're all about business and at the end of the day, and certainly as it's tied to technology, as technology is driving, disrupting business models and how attributable revenue is generated. Uh, I also encourage people to look at uh, various trade and academic journals like the MIT Technology Review, uh, Wired, even though it's a prosumer kind of magazine, often has some very interesting information about trending. Stuff that's coming out of the labs and into the marketplace, say within three to five years. If you really want to chase the money, you can look at things like AngelList or Silicon Valley Business Journal, and that'll tell you exactly where private equity and uh, hedge fund money and venture capital funds are going, as an indicator of where they think you know there's a pony in there, and that's where they're putting their money.
2: Right. So it's an ongoing investment, really. Right. Because sometimes people wind up in situations where their field is changing so much right they're working heavily and then they wind up experiencing an organizational restructuring and they're looking for new work and realize that the landscape of work has changed and they can't quite replicate what they what they did
3: yeah you know, for sure another sort of mantra of mine is chase the maelstrom find the mayhem go to the chaos so that's part of what I did Say moving from the jingle biz to the web biz because I saw that there was this new innovative technology uh, emerging that was going to have global socio-cultural business impact. I thought, well, let me go see if I can transfer my skills and figure out how that works, and then be a seminal player in that space. Uh, and it served me well.
2: Chris, did you initiate that while you were still doing something else? I was uh, writing music for television commercials, and then sort of studying
3: at night, surfing the web, taking classes, going to meetings learning about this
2: wacky thing called the internet <laughs> the world wide web right so it was about allowing your interests really help direct your attention yeah and
3: again the antenna thing seeing that the jingle biz um was going to only fulfill me to a certain degree and that it was uh the potential to just be an ongoing role but it didn't excite me or interest me i think it was actually a a woman from an agency came in and asked me to write a Duran Duran commercial for Clairol and I'd just done one like the week before for Dove for another agency. I was like, okay, that's enough. That's enough with
2: the Duran Duran. <laughs> and it's, so you, you got a chance to connect also uh, with your interest in moving into something else.
3: Yeah, and I was able to use my uh, desire to be creative and to manage multiple disciplines, work across multiple disciplines uh, in a new setting. And uh, it it was great.
2: It seems as though also the second two ingredients that you talked about, which have to do with your branding, really identifying the strengths, the interests, the personal qualities, other aspects of yourself that you want to be able to make more visible. It helps you understand how you need to make them more visible when you go through that process of identifying them.
3: Yeah, looking at, again, what makes you unique, what are your unique skill sets and and experience and expertise. So for me, you might say, uh, I'm a technologist, I'm a futurist, I'm a musician, I'm a communicator. So writ large, all those, those four ingredients kind of mixed together make me who I
2: am. So you're referring to finding venues through which you can sustain your visibility. So as you're evolving and growing and tapping into these new interests and gaining additional skills that are related to them, People can see that this is what you're doing, and they can also come to you.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, when I was in the music biz, my music was on television. And uh, as I got into the web biz, uh, b- building websites and starting to write, uh, my writing would be, say, on LinkedIn or on uh, other channels. As I began to present and speak about these topics, uh, I did a TEDx Times Square talk in April of 2013, and that's they videotaped it, and that's now available uh, on the web. So different ways to, uh, different channels to express my sort of worldview and perspective.
2: So we're coming out with investing in these new channels and then putting them out there so that pe- you can also really have a chance to get a sense of how people are responding to what you're doing.
3: Yes, for sure. That's a great point. I mean, the fact that you can get metrics behind a lot of this now. you know, Social uh, media gives you the opportunity to use tools like Google Analytics and Uh, track server logs and tools like Hootsuite can give you all kinds of reporting data on who's looking at your stuff and where they are and uh, demographic information you can then use to modify and enhance your message and expand your network as well.
2: Thank you, Chris. We're going to go to a quick commercial. When we return, Chris will go further into how innovation will drive the emergence of new jobs. Stay with us to hear more.
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
0: are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change if conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy Creating a transition plan
4: enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined in New York City by Chris Bishop, who writes, consults, and speaks about the topic of improvising careers. Chris discussed how the landscape of work is being reinvented as a result of the ways that technology is changing the ways we do business. This segment will focus on the types of innovative work opportunities that will emerge as different disciplines come together to form a new set of jobs. Chris, how do the jobs of today compare with the jobs of the future?
3: That's a great question. So when I talk to uh, you know colleagues and university students and even senior execs about the, these new models, um, I often say that the top jobs today, say the top five in-demand skill sets, didn't exist five years ago. And the examples I cite are like uh, cloud software engineers. So moving applications that once were big, fat clients sitting on somebody's desktop into a server that lives somewhere in Oregon or in Iceland or who knows where, that's a new skill set, right? Being, um, being a 3D printer operator, whether you're printing GE engine parts or vascular tissue for surgeons, that's a job that didn't exist like five years ago simple things like iPad app developer. I have a friend whose daughter studied graphic design and couldn't get a job in that field specifically, but was recruited and hired by a firm that develops apps for iPads, and is now totally rocking, doing a great job combining her graphic design and user experience skills. So that's, as in terms of trending, that's the kind of thing that people need to be aware of, right? So jobs, extrapolating that app, fast forward five years, what kind of jobs are? People are going to be doing that don't exist today, so things around uh, again nanopharmacy, as I mentioned before, uh, alternative energy uh, solutions. So certainly solar is getting a lot of play, but we're going to see more and more wind and fuel cells uh, and tidal uh, power generation. Mobility is a big area of focus, right? So shared resources, cars as shared resources. You know the fact that General Motors invested in Lyft. And the uh, preponderance of uh, Uber and Lyft and sidecar, new solutions to mobility, that's a new model that, that uh, doesn't exist. People are going to have to be aware of sort of policy, certainly, and ethics as well as uh, engineering and how automobiles are, are built and deployed. It might be fleets that uh, that live somewhere that, uh, that people summon as needed. right? So th- those are the kinds of things to keep in mind, that this is constantly evolving. The idea of... Uh, Job staying the same, it never happens. It's, it's an ongoing uh, cycle, tri- typically driven by uh, technology innovation and then some kind of period of chaos and then a standardization uh, period where it get, the uh, technology gets implemented and incorporated into society and business.
2: It brings to mind the, the idea of planting fields, right? That you can yeah. put seeds in the same land, Right. And even you can look at one tree and you see that certain leaves have bloomed and others have not yet bloomed in the same tree. So I think about the timeline for preparation relative to when opportunities actually emerge, right? You can can create them yourself by becoming an entrepreneur. You can create them also by making a pitch to an employer and saying, these are the needs I see. And this is how I think I can meet those needs, right? And then you also can find the organizations who are putting out these new types of opportunities.
3: Yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind is, again, that the um, the jobs of the future, right, the skill sets, the disciplines are, um, are going to build on stuff that we're doing today, right? The stuff that exists today, but it's going to be enhanced and intersecting, uh, again, disciplines that it may historically not have connected with. So it's not like totally net new, right? The idea of autonomous vehicles is cars that drive themselves. So it's not totally a net new concept. It's cars that we've been driving ourselves for years. Um, But taking robotic and AI technology and incorporating it into the vehicle, so now it has a new relationship with the human and, again, represents a new job opportunity. How do you make cars that drive themselves around? Um, So, again, the... uh, I always cast this as exciting and empowering, right? So certainly when I talk to university and high school kids, I say, you know, you're going to create stuff that's going to look like magic to me. So get to it. When I graduated from college, there were no cell phones. Long distance was expensive. There were no personal computers. There were no electric vehicles. There was no Facebook, no Twitter, no uh, reusables, uh, rockets like Falcon. So you're going to see stuff that's going to, it's going to blow my mind. It's going to be totally transformational, but that you'll take for granted is, oh, yeah, that's the next iteration of this technology or this business model.
2: I can imagine the enthusiasm that's generated as you have these kinds of conversations, the excitement. What kind of questions come up when you talk about this?
3: Well, it's funny. One of the questions that, that's always interesting and surprising to me is, um, the lack of awareness of what your personal brand is. right? So again, the the adage is that brand is certainly associated with companies, right? It's a promise, if you will. It's a commitment to deliver a certain uh, product or service at a consistently high level, uh, to be responsible for the results of what your product or service does on the planet in the world. But that nowadays, and brand from a personal standpoint, you know, used to be ascribed maybe to movie stars and, and uh, popular athletes and occasional politician, for better or for worse. But nowadays, everybody has a brand, has a voice. So it's finding what your voice is and encouraging kids to be aware that everything they do is connected to representing their voice, how they dress, how they speak to their colleagues, to their teachers, anything they write. Uh, it's all part of a brand. Typically, Facebook is where a lot of it is represented. But you know, as they move into the professional world, start using LinkedIn, the pleated pants of social networks, uh, and other tools to express their, uh, their voice, uh, becomes, you know, more and more important that they, they're aware of what their voice is and how their brand is represented.
2: To take that further, because that's such an extraordinary point, really, because essentially innovation really is driven by a belief that something's possible. And if we take it to the individual level, then it's about believing what's possible for us.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Encouraging them to find, you know, what's possible for them. And also to, to be aware that they're going to do lots of different things. I think that's a key point to make as well, right? So there are various stats around this, but the one that I like to cite says that 85% of the jobs that today's learners are going to do haven't been invented yet. And they're going to use technology that doesn't exist today and they're going to use it to solve problems that we don't yet know are problems. So preparing them to be successful in this new model and to get excited about it, it's, uh, it's fun. You know, you're going to, they're going to do really interesting things that, that are going to make the planet a better place and society uh, better and culture more impactful.
2: What I like about this process that you discuss in the three ingredients... Is we have the first part that has to do with really collecting data so you you can apply a logical process to that, right? Intimate
3: product development almost, right? Absolutely, consumer products perspective,
2: right? Because you may think something's outstanding and you may have a certain percentage of of the population that's ready for your idea and, and is on the same page, like, right? It the idea is that. You want to also be able to time your efforts, that you could have something really valid that you're interested in, investing in, and you have to be able to gauge how to deliver that idea such that it can be received well.
3: Yeah, I think when I speak to say senior execs, the other sort of end of the demographic spectrum, if you will, uh, you know, I encourage them to take to reflect on what skills they have and, and what the delta might be, what skills they might need. I also... And for all of you listening, um, I say that you should be looking, again, back to my chasing the maelstrom uh, admonition. You know, there are a lot of companies that are starting, that are getting VC funding. Um, the IPO rate and pace has slowed a little, but many of these companies that are getting uh, support and are developing and emerging are going to need what I call adult supervision at some point. So be heartened that... When you get to uh, a situation, maybe you've, you've been given a chance to find a new opportunity at a job you've been in for 20 or 25 or 30 years, be aware that there a lot of these young upstart companies uh, are going to soon, the ones that are going to be successful, are soon going to be in a position uh, to need help, to need guidance, to need seasoned, experienced uh, executives to, to help them grow and, and run their businesses.
2: What I like also, Chris, coming back to this process that you identified is that essentially it gives you a chance not just to test your ideas, but also to build confidence and actually work toward implementation, right? Because we see lots of ideas in the world, large money-making ideas that we say, wow, I talked about that 10 years ago.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, keeping in mind, you know, watching what's changing. Right, uh, looking for what's where it's evolving or emerging or uh, being transformed. So again, my, I think of my example with jumping over the digital divide from the jingle biz into the web. So I saw this new thing coming. And uh, when I was at IBM, I did a lot of work in social media because I saw that that was going to be uh, a driver of uh, positive disruption to the business model. Did a lot of work in virtual worlds, actually, at IBM, uh, running events in Second Life. And Again, looking for where they don't know what it is yet. and I, I encourage people to keep that in mind as a, as a macro perspective.
2: Right. So taking that, coming, coming up with some ideas, testing them out, making them visible. And, and that gives you a chance to refine your focus, right? And to re-identify skills that you need to enhance.
3: Yeah. Looking for you know, what you do well and where the gaps might be based on what your objectives are, where the, the new opportunity might be.
2: Is there anything else that you would add just in terms of carving a pathway to get from the idea stage to the implementation stage?
3: Well, I think it's an ongoing uh, effort. You know, it's an ongoing activity. I mean, I I wrote a post on LinkedIn actually about um, encouraging um, young employees who've landed in in a corporate setting uh, I have lots of guidance it's called um, Six Tips for Gen Z's at Dinosaurs. You might take a look at that on my LinkedIn profile. But one of the, uh, one of the tips is as soon as you're comfortable in your job, you know, after 18 months or so, start looking for your next job. And the research indicates that certainly millennials and I would guess Gen Z are going to be uh, in roles, you know, 18 months to three years. That's kind of the typical quote-unquote years of service or tenure at a company. Uh, And Bureau of Labor Statistics says they're going to have 8 to 10 jobs by the time they're 38, today's learners, that is. So uh, that's an exciting model. I know it can be off-putting for workers who've been in the workforce for a long time, but that's the new model. And millennials will be doing this because they can, not because they have to, because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, a lot of opportunities to explore and be creative and do new and interesting things.
2: Chris, what do you say to people who tell you my schedule is so demanding and I have my family that I'm supporting, I barely have a minute for myself.
3: Well, I think you, uh, you know, if you're comfortable where you are and you think you have some longevity, you're probably fooling yourself <laughs> and that you should be aware that the rate and pace at which business is changing and being disrupted driven by technology is only accelerating. So I would carve out some time either early or in the middle or at the end of the day to think about how your skills map to where the market is going, where business is trending and what the gap might be and be thinking strategically and thoughtfully about how to, uh, how to bridge the gap to stay valuable, to stay uh, considered a, you know, a viable contributor.
2: It sounds like the conversation I had with my coaching clients around time management, right? When they had they were had extremely demanding schedules and had things flying at them, and they had to re- shift gears essentially to make room for the new stuff and put other things on the back burner. And when we talked about the things that were vital that they couldn't get to, which related actually to their professional development, we talked about actual putting the time into the schedule as if it were a meeting that they had to attend. Yeah,
3: I think that's a great idea. And I think also once you get into a pattern of it, it becomes part of how you work. So certainly the model for me has been around using social media, right? So people say, I don't have time to tweet. I can't put up a LinkedIn post. I, I don't want to put that picture on Instagram. It takes too long. But once you sort of get into the rhythm of it and see how it works and see the benefit of it, it becomes part of how you operate every day, how you conduct yourself how you do business
2: and it really helps you continue to feel alive right that outside of what you're focusing on right now there's so much more of yourself that there is to express and develop
3: yeah absolutely
2: we're going to go to a brief commercial when we come back chris will discuss the skills that are necessary for success in our evolving work landscape stay with us
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
0: are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change if conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy Creating a transition
4: plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with Chris Bishop, who is now on his eighth career Chris writes, consults, and speaks about the topic of improvising careers. He talked about how innovation will drive the creation of new work opportunities. This final segment will focus on how you can prepare yourself for these opportunities to sustain your career mobility. Chris, how would you define the skills that are necessary for success in this innovative work climate that you describe? Chris so
3: I'd like to quote the woman who actually hired me at IBM, again, much to my surprise. I interviewed with the woman who was the VP of Corporate Internet Programs, which is at the time a fledgling internal organization as IBM was trying to figure out how to use this new technology, the World Wide Web, to drive the business model, right? And she said to me in, in our interview, the same qualities that made you successful as a freelance musician in Manhattan will make you successful at IBM. And Before I give you this list, I want to mention that Laszlo Bock, who is the chief people officer at Google, uh, echoes this sentiment in his book and in interviews that he conducts as well. The traits are you're going to have to be a creative problem solver, you're going to have to be resourceful and resilient, you're going to have to be comfortable with ambiguity, you're going to have to work across disciplines, have a sense of what people are doing in different parts of the business or the organization. And you're going to have to be aware of your role as a global citizen, because you're going to be working with and competing against people all over the world, like Thomas Friedman's book, The World is Flat. So, those are the characteristics that I would encourage certainly young learners and anybody listening today to to focus on. At the risk of sounding confrontational, I think STEM is a band-aid. I think it's a near-term solution to focus on science, technology, engineering, and math, that the real skills align more with what Farid Zakaria describes in his book in defense of a liberal arts education It's the ability to look across uh, a range of disciplines and topic areas uh, and be able to identify what's coming because products and services at all organizations are evolving constantly so they're looking for employees that can adapt and adjust and learn and unlearn and relearn to drive the business model you know we're no longer making this we're making that now
2: we talk about being present and being focused. right? There's that element and part of being present and focused though is staying tuned to the shifts that are happening around us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
3: Being aware that it's a constantly changing landscape and that you're going to have to be successful. You have to learn something new tied to what you already know. Um, you know. It's not going to be, unless you make a total shift, and certainly people do that. I mean, you go from being a rocket scientist to a chef but more than likely, it's taking what you know how to do and adopting and adjusting and finessing and revising based on what the marketplace is telling you, what, where business models are going, where technology is driving.
2: I like what you said about the feedback you got when you were positioning yourself for IBM and you were surprised that you were taken on, that what made you successful in what you did is something that's going to make you successful in anything that you do. So you're not starting from scratch.
3: Yeah, and I think sometimes people forget that they have sort of macro-level skills because we're all heads down, nose to the grindstone every day, cranking it out, doing our work. Um, but certainly, like, for example, when I talk to musicians, you know, they say, well, I did gigs and I booked a band and I uh, organized a rehearsal, whatever. And so what I say to them is, okay, you're a project manager, you have some financial acuity, you know how to manage a budget, you know how to do work change, getting the right people to be, involved in the band or in the recording or whatever. You know how to deal with um, executives meaning sort of club owners who can be snarky and finicky but to get the job done. So think about those skills at a macro level and they are applicable across a range of disciplines and business models.
2: Essentially then you are saying I have all of this. Putting forth the inventory it's like inventorying your furniture. Right? it's it's an asset so what you're doing is you're identifying all the assets that you have so that you have this experience that there's so much I have that's backing me up right now and these are the blanks I need to fill but compared to what I have right the blanks aren't so big yeah finding out
3: where they are and then determining what the blanks are based on you know where you want to be where you want to go so you know I wanted to be a jingle producer so I I knew how to write music, but I didn't know how to run a synclavier. so I learned how to run a synclavier. I got a job at a jingle house, and the guy showed me how to do it, and then I spent many hours sitting, fooling with it, and, and exploring and learning how to do it.
2: When I was in my 20s, I had an interest in outplacement, so doing coaching with people who were in transition. And so someone referred me to a person who was the head of an outplacement firm. And I had this conversation with him and he said, well, the median uh, number of years of experience of people in this field is 20 and most of them are at least in their 40s. And go and read these trade publications, you know, and then come back at a later time. And so it was very interesting because just five years after that conversation, I had another conversation and it was related to outplacement. And I was hired to work in the field. So there's so many different perspectives and pockets, right? You can find environments uh, where it's harder to be accepted and be taken in, just like you said, you were surprised that you landed on board IBM. And I do wanna hear actually more about what surprised you about it. But I just wanted to bring that point out You know, that it has to do also with the visibility part, the searching part, right? That there's so many different environments and different levels of receptivity. And part of it also is just finding where the receptivity is. Yeah.
3: and So your, your question about IBM, so worth mentioning as part of sort of the mesh discussion, right? The network of networks, the Venn diagrams that overlap and show how you're connected to whom, where and when. Uh, The reason I got a chance to interview at IBM was that I met a woman on the train. Uh, We were both commuting into New York on a Sunday with our laptops. She was going to work on Deep Blue, the computer that beat Garry Kasparov at chess, and I was going into work at uh, CKS Partners and Interactive A to C. I was building the Johnson & Johnson website, first corporate website. Anyway, we became friends, stayed in touch. Um, A couple of years later she reached for me and said, you know, my organization is growing and they need people who know how to produce websites. Would you ever think of working at IBM? And I said, absolutely not. Well What I do at IBM? You've got to be kidding me. The, the guy's wearing like blue suits and white shirts and red ties. I mean, I'm like a rock and roll guy who learned how to produce mm-hmm. websites. But she said, well, just go and have a conversation with my VP. I think you'll find it interesting. But the the, the message there is that you know, we all have networks that we need to nurture and enhance and that have evolved over the years. There was a great uh, data visualization tool that LinkedIn offered for a while called an InMap that, that highlighted in different colors what your uh, network looked like. So in blue might be the people you worked with at, the, at the, your job. You know, red might be family, green might be people from college. Um, orange might be people who are connected to you through a hobby or shared interest or whatever. So I encourage people to dissect their networks and look at you know how they got built and where they're connected to people that can help them find new opportunities. And they may be in unlikely places. There's someone that you're in your family part of your network that knows somebody that works at a company that is doing something interesting that uh, where you could contribute. Um, and the other thing I would say is that. Building your network or your mesh is a lifelong job, right? It doesn't ever end. And it depends on what field you're in. So I've had seven careers. I have sort of seven macro networks uh, writ large. But I admonish people to try to add five people a week to your LinkedIn profile. LinkedIn is the de facto standard, right? It's the lingua franca nowadays for professionals looking to identify opportunities and connect. So that's my wagging finger two cents, you know. Add people.
2: May I expand on your two cents? It sounds like there's a three cents that you're talking about related to how you're describing the ability to learn with agility, right? And that it also requires an openness to seeing yourself in different ways, just yeah. like this person encouraged you to do about IBM.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, again, looking at your, you know, what makes your voice? What is it that you do that that makes you special being open to expanding and enhancing it. So, again, I've gone from being a touring rock position, I played in a band that opened for the Eagles and for uh, ZZ Top and you know Linda Ronstadt and Weather Report to working at IBM corporate headquarters providing social media support to the executive who ran the IBM Foundation.
2: Chris, you talked about creative problem solving, being resourceful and resilient being comfortable with ambiguity and also looking for each individual looking at our role as a global citizen as skill sets that are really important for this evolving workplace. There are many people who have a preference for structure as opposed to spontaneity and just taking a look at that preference and essentially all of us need to create structure in our lives as a way of being productive, so when we talk about becoming more fluid, right? It doesn't mean that we're not having structure, obviously, but we're needing to constantly recreate our structure.
3: Well, and I think that's dictated by the rate and pace at which business is changing. And I think younger workers/slash learners are more comfortable with that because they're, uh, you know, digital natives, if you will. They didn't. They don't know a world before the Internet or before mobile devices. Um, I think it can be more challenging for more senior workers. But again, I would encourage listeners who are in that demographic to realize that you have unique skills as well that uh, that you can bring to, uh, to business situations, to job situations. Uh, but also be candid with yourself about where the gaps might be, you know, where you might need to become more familiar with a certain technology or a certain process or a certain service or approach.
2: That's why it seems that your suggestion also around experiencing this as part of our daily lives, making sure that you see it as a requirement, just like brushing your teeth (laughs) to to cite a rote example. Yeah, absolutely. That if you keep it in mind that way and you're building as you're going, then the need to change your structure isn't something that happens so dramatically.
3: Yeah, and I think also keep in mind that it's exciting. You know, there's like really interesting stuff going on. There are really tremendous uh, innovative um, opportunities in the workplace of the 21st century. You know, again, we're going to see stuff that we can't even imagine sitting here in 2016 in the early part of the century.
2: So as we're summarizing our key points from this wonderful conversation... What would you say are the most important takeaways you're recommending?
3: Uh, I would say you know be open-minded be flexible be ready to learn unlearn and relearn do a candid assessment of, of where you are in your career or careers uh, and be comfortable with the fact that you certainly if you're a younger worker that you're going to have multiple careers over the course of your work lifetime and if you're uh, an older worker um, like I have been um, you know, be aware that there's still lots of opportunity to do interesting things, whether you do it on your own, as your own company, uh, as an entrepreneur, or again, as I referred to before, providing adult supervision to a rapidly growing, uh, and exciting, innovative company.
2: Is there anything you would add, just in terms of the global climate that we're in?
3: Well, we just got to be aware that, uh, you know, to paraphrase Lord Salisbury, right, the sun never sets on business nowadays as opposed to the British Empire. Uh, it's going on 24-7, so you, that's the climate we're in. That's what you, the rate and pace at which you need to be prepared to uh, to function in.
2: It seems that then wherever someone is in their own experience of preparing for what's to come, right? whether you feel like your head has been in the sand for a while and you've popped up and all of a sudden you're a little bit panicked about what's around you and how you can catch up so to speak that what you're suggesting is really relevant to to all of us wherever we are in our own process
3: yeah just take a, an inventory of what you want to do what the motivating factors are uh, in your life and what your skills are and then map it to what the marketplace is telling you, you know? if you have skills in automotive engineering and you want to be in autonomous vehicles because that's a burgeoning field Figure out what the gap is. What do you need to know to be successful in that space? Uh, and learn those skills and get into it.
2: And for those who really have an immediate need to find a new opportunity. right? Sometimes we, we have a short timeline that we're working with where we know that for practical reasons right, we need, to, we need to secure a new opportunity. So essentially the point that you made about using what we already have maximizing the use of what we already have and then at the same time taking the learning that you're suggesting about preparing for the next thing. Right? So we're we're using what we have and we may enter an opportunity that's not precisely what we're looking for, but then we can take a little bit more time in on the preparation stage.
3: Yeah, use the skills you have to sort of help with the transition. You know, it may not be the ideal Thing, but you know, find something you can do as you evolve into the your next role, next major role, if you will,
2: um, to help you be successful. to you get to the next stage? And the skills gaps also sometimes they're larger, right? Than than we would like, and, yeah. and not just skills. Essentially, you're talking about as a skill also the way we look at things, our degree of openness, our level of flexibility and adaptability.
3: Yeah, and even in the networking thing. So when I first started talking about these concepts, this improvising careers um, paradigm, I didn't know anybody in academia. So I had to go find people that I knew or who knew people who knew people and kind of build out this network of people who offered me opportunities to speak in front of university students.
2: Chris, thank you for this fascinating framework that you're offering. A lot of inspiration and motivation, wonderful ideas. Thank
3: you very much. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here.
2: So, I'd like to invite our listeners to experience you again. Chris is scheduled to speak at a SAP podcast called Innovating Innovation.
3: Okay, that's going to be on uh, November 2nd.
2: November 2nd at 10 a.m. And you can get more information about this podcast by following him on Twitter at Chris Bishop. That's C-H-R-I-S Bishop, B-I-S-H-O-P. Chris also welcomes you to email him at Chris at ImprovisingCareers, improvisingcareers ImprovisingCareers.com to share any questions you might have about how he can help you to improvise your career. And you can also learn more about him and what he does at ImprovisingCareers.com. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please email me at hosthemda at gmail.com or share your thoughts with me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page.
1: Thank you for tuning into our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.